The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife. Save the environment. Save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Welcome to another day in our wild world. Today we have some special guests uh, from Zimbabwe. They happen to be in the U.S. and we've met up. They're also a Wild Eyes grantee. And it's Jessica Dawson and Roger Perry, the founders of the Victoria of Falls Wildlife Trust, previously known as the Wild Horizons Wildlife Trust. And they work in concert with the wildlife departments and veterinary departments, doing a lot of research and education within the local communities and beyond in the Kavango Zambezi Transfrontier Conservation Area. We'll talk about that a little bit more from Roger and Jessica. And their current major projects are uh, genetics evaluation, tracking uh, in anti-poaching, wildlife disease monitoring, um, and tracking the movements of tuberculosis between wild and domestic animals and people, along with providing critical veterinarian services and wildlife rescue. Roger is the wildlife manager for the Victoria Falls Wildlife Trust, with more than 15 years' experience in the wildlife and tourism industry. He spent 10 years working for the Zimbabwe Department of National Parks and Wildlife as senior warden of the Chisarira, I believe I pronounced that correctly, Roger will correct me if I'm wrong, National Park, while also performing piloting and flying for the National Parks. He also has 15 years of qualifications of darting and capturing wildlife and oversees the running and management of the Victoria Falls Wildlife Trust Laboratory in the rescue and rehabilitation of injured, abandoned, and orphaned wildlife. Jessica Dawson, his wife, is originally from San Diego, California. She's been in Zimbabwe for 10 years, working closely with Roger, and Jessica has a master's degree in business administration. Jessica is the general manager of the Victoria Falls Wildlife Trust. She also holds a Zimbabwe Dangerous Drugs License and assists in darting operations for wildlife conservation. Recently, Jessica has also been working to be trained in veterinary laboratory diagnostics, and she works together with the Victoria Wildlife Trust team in setting up the veterinary diagnostic capabilities at the laboratory facility. Welcome aboard, Jessica and Roger. It's wonderful to have you here. How are you today? Good, thank you for having us. You're welcome. Good morning, Ellie. Um, uh, uh, good morning. 
Good morning. Uh, well, let's start with you, Roger. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to be doing what you are today? You have quite an astounding background. So what brought you to the Victoria Falls Wildlife Trust? Yes, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a long history. Um, yeah, I've always sort of been very interested in wildlife. I was uh, sort of brought up uh, in Zimbabwe um, with a, a sort of wildlife background. Uh, you know, as a family, we used to go out quite often into, into the wild and enjoy the wilderness. Um, when I got into the work environment, I, um, I joined the uh, Department of uh, National Parks and Wildlife for Zimbabwe um, in uh, uh, that was about uh, 30 years ago, and um, have been involved with uh, wildlife uh, conservation uh, since then. Um, I uh, did 10 years with the Department of Wildlife, um, uh, and then uh, got a little bit involved in um, wildlife tourism, uh, sort of side, um, and then um, and then uh, got uh, after about five years of that, um, I preferred to uh, be more involved in the conservation uh, side and. That sort of led me to um, uh, to where we are uh, today. Um, about five years ago, uh, a good friend of mine who I'd worked with uh, in the Department of National Parks, um, uh, Gavin Best, he uh, came up with the idea of forming the Wildlife Trust and um, and uh, asked uh, Jessica and myself to uh, to be involved in, and manage it. And that was five years ago, and uh, we've come a long way since then. I, I that's. That's absolutely true. You've come a very long way. Jessica, how did you end up in Zimbabwe? I ended up in Zimbabwe about 10 years ago when I went out to do a bit of research for my master's thesis. I had previously worked in South Africa before, and one of the professors asked if I would assist in doing some research. So I said, sure, no problem. Headed off to Victoria Falls. I did the research and then came back and finished my degree after which I was offered a position back in Victoria Falls, and I took it. And then I met Roger, and thereafter we together joined the Victoria Falls Wildlife Trust. So what was the point of creating the Victoria Falls Wildlife Trust? Um, Roger, you said you were working with national parks and wildlife departments, and then you felt you wanted to go a bit more into the conservation side. Where is the disconnect there that... If, if it is a disconnect, that National Parks and Wildlife Department, was it not well, doing conservation? Or, or, or help help us understand that. Well, um, uh, the reason why I, I left the uh, Department of National Parks is um, at, at that time, that was a few years ago, I, I did have a young family and, and, um, and uh, uh, sort of um, got more involved in the, in the sort of uh, non-profit side of, of conservation. Um, Working, working, still working very closely with national parks. But the the formation of the trust was was a, a commercial initiative um, from a commercial wildlife uh, tourism company called Wild Horizons. Um, they felt uh, the directors of the uh, company felt very uh, strong about supporting conservation um, and had been doing so for many years, but wanted to formalise it by creating the trust. Um, and our friend Gavin was part of that decision making, and um, and uh, it was it's it was a, a great initiative from from the, their side, you know. And uh, with their support, uh, and we still get very strong support from the commercial side. Um, uh, it's been it's, it's sort of um, been um, 
the main reason for our development over the last five years. So it's sort of a um, CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility Action, on the uh, profit-making profit side of Wild Horizons, which is what, a safari company, a yes. lodge company? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's a, it's a, a Wild Horizons um, commercial is, is, a, is a, um, um, a wildlife tourism company. They have uh, a different, of, different um, forms of activities uh, that they offer and services that they offer towards uh, tourism, uh, um, you know, visitors to the region of Victoria Falls um, in the form of accommodation, um, activities like uh, rafting, etc. Um, so have you found over the past, let's say, 10, 20, 10, 5 years, you say the Victoria Wildlife Trust was formed five years ago. Have you found over the past, let, let's, you know, the decade, that um, wildlife conservation in Africa is finding the need to go more toward this corporate social responsibility as to just tourism to build up uh, conservation on the ground with the local people. Uh, Either yes. one of you can answer that. Yeah. yeah um, well, let me start, and then maybe uh, Jess can add. Um, I think. Uh, I think absolutely. I think um, there's a there's a need for everybody um, to get involved with conservation and um, certainly from an African uh, perspective you know the the um, pressures on on um, governing administration um, you know with regards to economy etc cetera, etc cetera, is reduced or and it reduces their ability to to um, you know really uh, uh, become uh, effective um, no fault of their own but they they what I'm saying is that um, support from commercial operations um, and corporate operations um, is, is essential to, to uh, contribute and, and support governing bodies. Jessica, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I would just like to add that um, the Victoria Falls Trust, while it was established as a, a commercial initiative uh, for wanting to put more back into conservation, dependently and separately, and... Despite that, Wild Horizons, the commercial side, continues to support the trust as well as other corporate social initiatives within the, the region. And there's definitely been an increase in the amount of support that we've been getting. Of course, this is related to the economy improving within Zimbabwe in the last few years. And I think more and more tourism companies are seeing the need to be able to put back into conservation because most of the time their profits are dependent upon conservation being sustainable in the long term. That brings us to an interesting point. Here in the U.S., we don't really have a forum or a format uh, that I've noticed that we that there that there is in Africa to – in terms of what we were just saying, um, the tourism companies finding the need and taking the responsibility and taking the initiative to get involved in conservation and give back. Um, it, it's very different here in the U.S. We don't really have that format between our – there's a bit of a disconnect between our government wildlife services, our national parks as recreation, and then what actually happens in the biodiversity of those areas. Um, do you find over the past years what, – what is the, the change that is coming about in Zimbabwe that's bringing local people more on board with conservation? Um, I think, Edu um, education. 
sorry. Um, go ahead, Jessica. I'm sorry. I think, I think education plays a, a major role in that, and a, a lot of the time by getting school children out to see some of the national parks and the wonders that are right on their doorstep is a, a big step forward, at least locally in Africa, in being able to show them what holds and what they ultimately will be responsible for in the future. So how um, how 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 did this how how did this not happen before i mean here in the west we continuously understand and are bombarded with um the beauty of our national parks and getting out and passes so what is it about conservation over the past um 100 years that's changed so dramatically that uh we we found I'd say the new model is that we have to incorporate the local people. So what is it about conservation that has kept local people out? Um, Roger, uh, yeah, maybe I can comment there. Um, and uh, purely from my experiences over the last thirty years, um, being involved in conservation, and how how it, it has changed over that period. Um, and I'm talking about sort of uh, very locally in, in Africa. Um, I think I think uh, there there has been a a better understanding that uh, local communities within um, areas uh, of conservation importance are very very part of the 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 whole environment and uh, need to be um, incorporated into the decision making um, and and uh, conservation process. I think um, when I started my career, I think there was a tendency to 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 um, uh, overlook the, the the human communities within those areas um, and create uh, sort of boundaries, as it were. Um, um, and I think that was a bad thing. Uh, at, and um, I think over the years, understanding it and getting these people involved, um, who have uh, and a lot of them uh, have a very very close uh, connect with with um, the, the sort of wilderness um, uh, side, um, are important and uh, they need to be included and. Um, I think that's that's certainly been the change uh, with, with within the area that that we work in. So that's definitely a, a positive move toward the future. It just always amazes me that over the last hundred years, our models of conservation have excluded so much local knowledge um, of and, and the human element, as you just mentioned. That it's kind of astounding to me that it's taken us. Us, let's say the Western uh, conservation model that seems to be implemented a lot across Africa to incorporate uh, the local communities and the local indigenous knowledge and um, the, the the programs that are going on. So, what are some of the programs that um, Wild? Uh, excuse, I started to say Wild Horizons Wildlife Trust. That was your previous name. It's recently changed to Victoria Falls Wildlife Trust. What are some of the programs that uh, you're involved in with the local communities? I mean, uh, well, we- Jessica. Yeah. Jessica. I'm sorry. I suppose I should ask one of you or the other, uh, Jessica. Yeah, we have a range of, of programs. The, the ultimate goal is to always work with communities to gather solutions for everyone in, in conservation. And some of those include things like dealing with human-wildlife conflict, where we live is, a, is in a national park, and we don't have any fences between our different mixed land use types. 
So wildlife can move freely within the rural community and likewise with livestock and humans. So there is conflict and finding solutions to deal with that conflict is um, a big part of what we do. And Preventative measures in place for disease control. That's one of the projects Wild Eyes has helped uh, support with the Victoria Falls Wildlife Trust is the um, movement of disease between buffalo and cattle and people. Um, both Roger and Jessica, can you tell me a little more about how that came to be and some of uh, what you found? Sure. Um, previously, before we began this project, Zimbabwe was free of bovine tuberculosis until about 2008-2009, in which a buffalo in the southeast of the country was found to have bovine tuberculosis coming up from Kruger National Park. With that, we decided we needed to do a survey in the area that we are in the northwest to determine if we had any bovine tuberculosis circulating in the population. And this is mainly due to, because of the fact that we don't have fences between our different land use types and, as I mentioned, the movement of animals across different boundaries and what we term one health in that a lot of the diseases that are present in wildlife, livestock, and in some cases to humans. And in that human fa factor would be bovine tuberculosis is one of those diseases that is transferable. It's also the human side, if any of the people are immunocompromised, the rate of mortality increases significantly. So it's a major disease of concern. To date, we found um, that in the buffalo that we surveyed, none of the animals were positive for bovine TB. However, some of the cattle came back positive on the intradermal skin test. So at this point in time, with funding granted from Wild Eyes, we aim to go back to be able to take those animals that came back positive are or are not positive for bovine tuberculosis and then make the necessary you're breaking up you're breaking up just a little bit jessica so um i'm just going to fill in here maybe you can plug your microphone back in um this is an interesting parallel with what goes on in Yellowstone National Park and the bison that we have here that move in and out of the park. One of the big ranching complaints is that when the buffalo move out of the park, they're going to transmit brucellosis to the livestock uh, uh, commitment concerns. Uh, and cattle ranching is a huge uh, aspect and economic uh, business industry. So um, I found it interesting when we last talked that you didn't find the brucellosis in the buffalo, but you found it in the cattle. And then at our last uh, meeting, you showed me that you are collaring the cattle rather than the buffalo to see where the cattle are moving and how it, it possibly transmits tuberculosis that way. Roger, can you um, say a little bit more about that? Uh, yes, uh, um, Elliot. The um, you know certainly in our area we do have a very very um, clear um, sort of overlap between um, domestic animal uh, movement and wildlife, um, uh, and and that that opens up the possibility of, of um, transmission of diseases, of course, um, of, of this sort of type um, between the two. Um, the uh, the we did actually put some collars on on the buffalo as well as um, um, 
uh, and we are now planning to uh, also uh, try and get collars onto the cattle. We haven't done done that yet, um, but the buffalo movement um, that we that we have monitored over the last two years has shown that that uh, they they uh, do um, utilize the same sort of areas that the cattle does. So there's a huge um, uh, possibility of crossover there, and of course concern as well. So. Um, through our continued work and, and uh, trying to find out exactly what's happening with, um, with the different diseases, um, we'll be able to hopefully, uh, you know, um, working together with the, um, the government authorities uh, like the Department of Veterinary Services um, is to come up with some reasonable management uh, policies to, to be able to um, uh, reduce that, that, that possibility of disease crossover and spread. So I have a, a, a quick question. Which one have you found that moves more? Do the buffalo uh, use the landscape, the, the larger landscape more, or do the cattle and people use the larger landscape more, traveling between these um, multi-purpose areas? Um, I think the I think the cattle uh, have the the, the um, furthest range in terms of uh, movement. It was quite interesting, actually, of the two herds that we did collar. The, the one herd was very, very localized and um, it did not move, um, probably moved within, uh, you know, um, 10, 10 square kilometers. Um, whereas the, uh, the second herd, which was actually a larger herd of over a thousand animals, um, uh, we found that that moved um, um, more so. In fact, it actually went um, right across to to Botswana uh, and back again. Um, so and, over and, range of, yeah. and that was cattle or buffalo? Uh, no, this was buffalo. So yes, okay. but, yeah, the buffalo are free range and, and probably have a higher range, whereas the the cattle have a, a human influence, of course, because they are herded, herded in, in a lot of times and are are, are more localized. So, um, but but um, there is a you know as as um, as the sort of uh, demand on the natural grazing um, within the area is um, is uh, in demand, um, the, the the herders are going further, further afield. So um, you know there is an, an you can call it an encroachment into the more wilderness areas uh, by the domestic animal. Well, that brings us to a point of um, that we've been discussing all along on our wild world is. As human population does increase and encroaches more and more into what was wildlife, let's say singularly wildlife areas, that um, what's so important about the work that you do is this research and finding how things are moving, moving vectors, disease transmission, how wildlife moves and what wildlife brings with it versus what people bring with it to wildlife. Um, what are some of the um, astounding technological advances that, okay, we don't have to say astounding, uh, what are some of the technological advances that you've found over the past decade that have that are really improving your ability to make conservation happen and work and, um, and inform local communities about these changes? Maybe Jess can answer that. Yeah, sure. I, I think... Technology has been, especially satellite technology has come a long way in that 
systems that we fit on wildlife, we are able to now use satellites uh, to be able to pinpoint where the animals are moving and especially to identify the corridors that they utilize between those different land use types and international boundaries and know that those are the areas we need to protect. As well as that is quite astounding is the use of camera traps to be able to identify not just species but up to individual animals especially on cats like leopard and cheetah you can use spot patterns to be able to identify uh, those individuals and to be able to figure out where they are moving on a smaller localized area and how do you translate this information this knowledge transfer and translate not just language wise but uh, transfer this knowledge to the local people so that um, they work with you well, um, maybe I, I can uh, come in here. Um, uh, it's, uh, the, um, the different projects that we, we have got um, uh, are, are sort of ongoing at the moment. Um, we, um, with, certainly with the Human Wildlife Conflict Project that we've got, we work very closely with the, uh, the local um, uh, uh, rural council. Uh, it's called the Wangi uh, uh, District Council. Um, and we um, through through that we we have um, uh, quite a lot of uh, open discussions with the with the um, the leaders of the communities, uh, you know the the crawl heads, the chiefs, uh, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there is a a, um, a sort of um, dialogue there um, uh, with those people. The project, the, that particular project, uh, the Human Wildlife um, uh, Conflict Project. Um, at the moment, is, is looking is um, focused on the collection of um, of information from those communities. So we we do have uh, uh, one of our um, project managers, um, his name is Bongani Dlodlo, is um, uh, very involved in um, uh, working with those communities and uh, on a daily basis. Um, uh, in terms of um, uh, long term, that the information once it has been um, uh, sort of analysed, and uh, we've come up with some possible um, mitigation uh, sort of um, answers. Will be uh, documented in, in the form of, um, you know, a um, publication. Um, but certainly uh, through the committees, um, through the rural district councils, that information will be will be um, filtered back to the to the local communities, and um, new projects need to be initiated to implement some of the. Um, some of the suggestions uh, that we've, we've got through that through that research. Well, this is very exciting. We're um, going to head into a short break right now. Um, I'm having a few little te- technical difficulties over here with my my uh, connection, so we're going to head into a short break. And when we come back, we'll have Roger Perry and Jessica Dawson from the uh, Victoria Falls Wildlife uh, Wildlife Trust. If our listeners would like to call in, you can call in at one eight six six. Four seven two five seven eight eight, or you can send an email to wildize at wildeyes.org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. 
Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back, and we have our special guests, Roger Perry and Jessica Dawson from the Victoria Falls Wildlife Trust. We've been having an interesting uh, conservation conversation about how Roger and Jessica came to be doing what they're doing and uh, their background, which uh, suits them, uh, suits what they're doing incredibly well. And I have a question. Um, Today... Conservation is, we all know, it's, it, it, the conservation professionals, it's that conservation is such a long-term process. Uh, Roger's been doing this for close to 30 years, Jessica for 10. I myself have been doing it for 20. And despite the doom and gloom stance that we hear in the media, um, species extinctions and losses, there are so many incredible strides being made, as we've just talked over the last um, 20 minutes in the show and discoveries and cutting edge information about our natural world uh, every day coming to the fore. How do we get this positive conservation news into the hands of the public on a routine basis? There seems to be oftentimes such a disconnect in Africa, in, in this case in Zimbabwe, the incredible work that you're doing with the local communities, getting the local communities on board, and then um, this disconnect where we feel everything is being lost. How do we, as conservationists, get the news out there that things are changing, that there is a paradigm shift happening? Roger? Um, yeah, uh, Debbie, I, th- I think... Um I think it's very important, uh, you know, what, what, what you are doing through this, through, um, your program here, um, and, um, and through the other media, um, uh, sort of, uh, things that you, you can, we can tap into. I think that's very important as, as, I think also, you know, over the years with, um, you know, the improved technology, uh, through 
satellite TV, etc., etc., um, more and more people are, are getting exposed to, uh, to this. Um, and um, I think, I think uh, it's important that, that uh, uh, there is a flow of information from uh, work that, uh, that, that um, people like ourselves are doing on the ground uh, to to um, get exposure to as many people as possible, um, and education um, at at um, various levels is is very important, um, both uh, right uh, at the level of communities uh, who are in touch with the the wildlife on the ground, uh, right through to uh, people that might might be more disconnected, as you as you call it, um, and I think through. Through this, uh, it's, it's, it's important that we, we keep up the, uh, that education as much as we can. Do you think we're facing um, what some people, um, Mark Dowie, an, uh, an environmental uh, journal, investigative journalist, um, and what some people call a conservation fatigue? Um, definitely, I know as a nonprofit organization, we face a donor fatigue. Do you think we're um, with all the news and the strides that we have made and the access that we have through satellite TV and wildlife documentaries, do you think there is a fatigue going on? And if, if so, how do we combat that? Jessica? Yeah, um, I suppose it depends on, on who you are and where you're located in terms of what you have access to. Uh, definitely, I would say that there, if, if you're involved, there is a, a conservation fatigue, but I think for the general public, they, there, there's a keen interest, and in most of those documentaries and whatnot wouldn't be where they are if there wasn't that continued interest and drive from them to be able to see what's happening in the conservation world. So, yes, in some regards there is, and in others maybe not yet. So do you um, think – go ahead, maybe Roger. Uh, maybe, Ellie, I, I can comment there. Um, you know, just – from my personal experience, um, you know, having having been, you know, m- uh, most of my life in, in in Africa and very involved with conservation, and my my visits out here to to the U.S., um, you know, one of the, one of the things I, I I do notice is that people are are more disconnected here, and I think it's because of the advancement of of the you know um, you know most people uh, do not have um, the conservation in, in the back of the mind, um, whereas uh, you know where we come from. Um, people are more connected. You know, um, they they see it from a day to day. It affects their lives on a day to day basis. You um, bring up an, that's an excellent, excellent point. Yeah, and um, I think it's also uh, quite a lot of the media. You know, you get a sort of mixture of different types, of course. You know, through the different wildlife magazines and and uh, different television programs. Uh, I think one of the concerns that I possibly have is that that um, a lot of these um, programs on on television, you know, the the um, reality type, um, are, are are very dramatised um, as well, and and are there to, you know, obviously, um, you know, to uh, to I'd get the interest of people. Yeah, I'd say they remove our focus from the important issues that we need to address today, conservation, our policies, where our world is going, and bring it down to individual um, chaos and problems that it's a way to escape dealing with every day so that you can watch somebody else's problems and not feel so bad. 
And when I'm in Africa, I don't care whether it's Kenya or East Africa or Southwest Africa, there is not a preponderance of these types of reality shows or the shows and the drama series that I see in Africa deal more with community life. Um, So you make a very excellent point that and I've made it many times on this show that we are here in the West getting farther and farther away from our natural world. And um, my my problem with some of the uh, wildlife, biosphere, natural history shows is they do show how stunning our natural world is. I mean, a series like Planet Earth or Discovery Wild is is astounding in that we're getting closer and closer. But do you find when you meet up with Westerners in Zimbabwe that this lure to get closer is actually detrimental to what's going on in terms of conservation? Uh, Roger? Um, yeah, I think I think you are right. Um, I, th- I think uh, there, there is a there is a bit, bit of that. Um, um, I, I still I still feel that that um, you know because people are more in touch there. Um, uh, you know, and and I think uh, a, a lot of the people, a lot of the communities, don't really have access to uh, a lot of the uh, the media. Um, uh, uh, a sort of exposure that that say people in the Western world uh, get. So um, I think I think the the, the sort of um, uh, sort of uh, insight into conservation is, is is more from local local experiences than than from than from media uh, exposure. Um, so more reality based. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, maybe Jeff can comment on that. Yeah, uh, having to live with conservation, as Roger said, on a day-to-day base, basis, whether it's wildlife conflict, a lion coming in and taking your cow, or your your cow having um, come up with tuberculosis. Uh, Jessica, you're originally from the U.S. and have spent uh, the last 10 years in Zimbabwe. Um, how, do, how would you address this? Yeah, ultimately it comes back a lot to the operators and ethics and setting boundaries. Um, on the Western stance, there are many cases in which the, the getting as close and personal to, to wildlife can be detrimental, and you see it with, be it on a river, with people trying to get close to elephants, trying to cross to islands or, or hippo or buffalo or whatever it may be, or getting as close to a cat to get that ultimate picture. So it, it ultimately falls to the tourism operators and some of the parks or um, facility may be to try and put in place measures to say, listen, we have to balance term benefits of having the animals here with trying to get chase the almighty dollar to get the tips to be able to get that ultimate picture or whatever it may be. And this is why organizations such as Victoria Falls Wildlife Trust, working in concert with the for-profit corporate uh, corporate social responsibility of an organization is so important. And I find more and more in Africa that this is happening and less and less here in the U.S. And um, more and more here in the U.S., it's about extreme ad- ad- adrenaline adventure, as Jessica was saying, to get close, to get that ultimate picture that we're living so much through the camera and through the digital interface that we're not living through the, the 
actual real world, which is very, very different in Africa. All my experience there, and I guess um, perhaps, Jessica, this is what you found and why you've chosen to live in Zimbabwe rather than continue to live in the U.S., so what is um, some of the difficulties that you face when you come back to the U.S. in trying to get people to understand that it is not about uh, an adrenaline junkie and it's not about the adventure and getting closer, that it is about the work? How do you, how do you both deal with that? Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, you know, I've been coming to the U.S. for the last seven, eight years now, and uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, initially, I, I, I did have a problem with, with that, you know. Um, you know, um, trying to trying to get across to people, um, you know, exactly, you know, uh, what the issues are and uh, what our daily lives, um, uh, how how it varies from from uh, from lives lives here in the U.S. And um, I, I think I, I think uh, through media, uh, a lot of people do have a slightly slightly. Um, uh, Sort of different or unrealistic view of, of um, realities on the ground, um, and uh, you know it, it is a bit of a problem. Uh, people don't really um, fully understand the um, the day to day issues that people deal with um, in, in places like uh, Southern Africa as compared to the Western world, you know, um, and. Uh, and uh, one of the things is that people do take things for granted here, um, and uh, and just simple things like finding food um, on a daily basis and et cetera, et cetera, is um, is, uh, is so different. <laughs> yeah, here we we spend a lot of time thinking about um, next week, next year, next month, um, the next ten years. What are we going to do? And career and the pressure to keep on going for that bottom. Uh, what I talk about often, that bottom benchmark of health versus wealth and what defines that benchmark. And the health versus wealth benchmark in Africa is very different. Um, at the same time, we're looking for that economic and social security and wildlife security, but they mean such different things between the the Western world and the African world. And it's such a dichotomy and such a disparity that I find oftentimes it's the biggest problem that we face. When you come to the U.S. Do you, uh, and, and talk, Roger, uh, I mean, the two of you provide such a, an incredible opportunity because Roger is from Zimbabwe and coming to the U.S. and seeing everything that we have here and um, how complex it gets. And then there's Jessica, who's left this complexity to go back to, I'm going to call it a little bit more simplicity of living in Zimbabwe. Um, how, do you, how do you deal with that contradiction, Jessica? <laughs> you take it a day at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so would that be some advice that you'd have for people here? Just take it a day at a time? If you're in Africa, you take it a day at a time because you never know what the day is going to present itself with. But that said, you keep the, the bigger term goal and the focus of the long term in the back of your mind. And if it's a bad day, you just remind yourself that ultimately this is why you're doing it is to try and change things for the future. So how do we do that here? In the, what would you say um, to our listeners? How would you say to do that here in the West? And I guess, how would you say to stop taking ourselves quite so seriously 
um, not multitask and plug into every app, everything all the time and take one day at a time. Um, I, I'm sure when you come here, do you get uh, completely wrapped up in the con- consumerism, the consumption, the the news, the the 24/7 intensity, or do you find your time to be able to find wildness here? Yeah, we we do take time off while we're here and enjoy the wildness and try and get out. And that's something that should be said when that lives in the U.S. is that you have great opportunities to explore the outdoors here and to take those opportunities while you can because you just never know how long they're going to be there. Absolutely. Um, I find a lot of times because of our uh, tendency to watch wildlife uh, documentaries and wildlife shows that it's become more about entertainment and this is a, a, an issue I think a lot of con- conservationists have to deal with is that um, interfacing with wildlife and in wildlands, whether it's especially here in the U.S. or European national parks, it's about uh, entertainment and recreation. And we forget that we're going to encounter wildlife. And um, there was a story in the news the other day about uh, in, in South Africa of a woman who was gored by a rhino uh, when their guide driver owner of the reserve said get out of the vehicle and uh, get closer and then that's what happened. So do you find some of this getting closer, this need to recreate and be entertained by our wilderness and our wildlife is transferring to some of the models that is happening in conservation and uh, the conservation activities uh, for tourists in Africa? Um, Maybe I I can answer that. Um, Yeah, I I think, you know, uh, we we talked a little bit about that um, uh, earlier, Um, you know, this sort of disconnect with uh, reality on the ground, and, and certainly um, from my perspe- uh, perception of, of visitors coming from overseas, having been exposed to a lot of this um, um, sort of uh, reality, inverted commas, um, uh, you know, um, and dramatization on, on the medias, different medias, um, people are a little bit disconnected, and, and certainly um, the need for having um, professional guides uh, and um, people on the ground to to guide them um, is important. You know, P- um, people think they can they can walk up to animals like some people do on on, on some of these programs, um, and um, and not being able to not being directly connected with the different um, sort of dangers and um, and, and you mean threats. understanding that they're a wild animal? <laughs> so, sorry, say again. Do you, do you mean in actually understand, knowing what understanding what a wild animal is? Well, yeah, yeah to a certain extent. Um, you know, uh, one of the things I have done um, over the years is, is uh, I've been running these what what we call wilderness awareness um, uh, programs or uh, educational sort of uh, programs, and 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 uh, and getting people to to understand how the how the wilderness ticks and and um, and you know. Um, you know, you get you get people, you know, from from uh, um, uh, urban uh, uh, backgrounds. You know, and they, you know they they understand their their home environment very well. They they know where all the dangers are. They know how to survive in those environments. But you take them out of that into something uh, totally different, like like the African wilderness. And um, 
and uh, they become very uncomfortable and, and uh, don't understand where the boundaries are and, and what the dangers are, etc., etc. And um, and uh, you know being you know being able to to adapt and, and um, you know learn more about your natural environment is important. To, uh, and and your, uh, the more that you sort of understand about um, those sort of issues, um, uh, you know, the better you are in, in terms of making decisions. Um, uh, through your daily life to to um, be in touch with conservation, I think. You you just said some really important things there. Um, I hope our listeners really heard what you had to say. Um, I have a question. These wilderness workshops, do you, t- do you um, offer those to Westerners coming to Victoria, uh, excuse me, yeah, the Victoria Falls Wildlife Trust? Are you yeah. offering them in Zimbabwe or are you offering them here when you guys visit? Well, uh, it's mostly um, the ones I've done over the years. I've been doing them for the last sort of 10, 15 years. Um, I've, um, uh, it's mainly um, in Zimbabwe. People, people um, wanting to learn more about, you know, the African uh, wilderness. Um, we have, uh, over the years, I have thought about um, coming back and, and doing something similar here, um, but that's never really come come into um, into. Uh, any action or, yeah. so, um, so but the, it, it could so be something that we could investigate and, and try and get off the ground. So the people that you're working with, are they urbanite uh, Zimbabweans? Are they tourists? Or are uh, they um, local people who have um, got feeling disconnected? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a variety actually and, and depending on, my, on the, the focus um, uh, participants of these uh, different uh, uh, courses, um, you know, we would uh, change uh, uh, um, subtly to to be able to accommodate the different um, experiences that the people have. It's, uh, it, it does vary from uh, tourists, um, overseas people that are very uh, interested in, in, in wildlife, to um, right down to uh, local um, uh, rural community people, um, you know, on the ground, you know, um, you know, who are probably more in touch with. Um, the wilderness, but but have um, a, a different perception. I love this idea. So I understand um, your pro- your project has some volunteer opportunities. We're um, getting close to wrapping up our show. Is there um, some information that you can give to our listeners about some of the volunteer opportunities at the Victoria Falls Wildlife Trust? Uh, just just can ask for this. Sure, Ellie. We we do take volunteers and interns. We take only six people at one time, um, and a, mo- a lot of the focus is towards um, wildlife conservation, uh, veterinary, but we take a range of people from different backgrounds. Uh, the program generally runs for about five weeks, though we do take shorter information site, which is at, the, at this time is www.wildhorizonstrust.org. Under the project section is an um as a link to internships, and that will show all of the um, some photos as well as various information on costs and what is available for project um, programs to be able to do. This is excellent, and just in case you didn't get that website, it is uh, www.wildhorizons, W-I-L-D-H-O-R-I-Z-O-N-S, 
T-R-U-S-T dot org, wildhorizonstrust.org. So they take, um, uh, Jessica and Roger offer some uh, interesting volunteer opportunities for those people who are serious about getting involved and learning about wildlife. And um, it's not necessarily about getting closer and getting hands-on with animals. It is about learning to respect wildlife and understand some of the challenges and the veterinary issues that uh, uh, Jessica and Roger and the Victoria Falls Wildlife Trust have to deal with on a daily basis. Uh, by volunteering or even visiting the project through the Wild Horizons corporate side and uh, joining in on some of the activities and staying at some of the camps, you'll get an, a great opportunity to uh, learn firsthand, see firsthand and feel firsthand some of what we've been talking today. So we're about to wrap up. So Jessica, um, Roger, um, if there's one thing you would like our listeners to take away from today's con- conserva- uh, conversation, what would that be? Um, uh, really, I think, um, you know, if I can start this, uh, um, each one of us needs to commit to educating our children in conservation uh, matters um, and, to, and to support uh, conservation initiatives uh, where possible, um, you know, and, and bring, bring conservation is- issues into our daily lives. I think that's important. I'd say you're absolutely right, Roger. And here in the West, um, that means donating to a project. You can donate to Wild Horizon, uh, excuse me, Victoria Falls Wildlife Trust through Wild Eyes Foundation or through uh, the Victoria Falls Wildlife Trust website. Um, there are plenty of people, a lot of hardworking people like Roger and Jessica and myself that are out there doing the work every day. And what we need is you. We need the public. We need the support. So the point of our wild world is to educate people and provide information from experts and uh, people in the field to know what's going on, how they can get involved, and that every little bit you do makes a difference. So I would agree with what Roger said. We need to reconnect with our world, our natural world, and make conservation a way of life, not just an activity and not the five easy steps to what you can do to conserve today. It's making it a lifestyle and adding it into your world and understanding that Without conservation and without wildlife, then we have a very different planet. And is that one that we want to live with? And uh, personally, I would say the three of us having this conversation today would say, no, that's not a planet we want to live on. So, Jessica, do you have any parting words for our, our listeners today? Just get out there and enjoy it while you can. <laughs> That's you, you. You you took my words exactly right out of my mouth. Um, every uh, week, I end the show with saying, "Get out there, let your feet touch the grass, go see a tree, look at our wild world, and understand the beauty and the magnificence that is around us every day, and do something, whatever little thing it is. If you do one thing, do one thing to do." To, to make our world, our wild world, a better place. So until next week, this is Ellie Weiss signing off with Our Wild World, and I'd like to thank uh, Roger and Jessica for being my guests today, and hopefully you'll come back another time. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Ellie. Thanks. Thank you.
Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 